Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Welcome to the gathering of God's people called Resurrection Church. My name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors, and it is my joy, my honor to open up the Bible with you today. Uh, Before we dive into the scriptures, though, I just want to let you know this is the final week of our sermon series called Be the Church. This series has been about us learning to be the church on mission with God, and this week we're going to conclude things. Now, let me just do a little bit of a review, and if you missed prior weeks, you can go online and find out information. You can watch on our website or listen on iTunes, but week one, we learned that the church is a people, God's people, redeemed by Jesus, set apart for Jesus, we're his people, that's who we are. Uh, Week two, we learned that the church is devoted to Jesus in his kingdom, and so our heart is set on Jesus, and we want the kingdom of God to be established on the earth in every way possible. If you're here and you're not a believer, that means we're praying and hoping today you meet Jesus, your life has changed. Week three, we looked at this idea that we as the people of God have ministry, that we have a ministry we've been called to and we need to fulfill our ministry. This week, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to actually do ministry? What does spirit-empowered ministry look like practically? And so if, you've, if, you, if, you, if you can catch on, we've gone kind of from big picture all the way down to your life. What does it look like for you to be having a ministry that is empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about today. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into things. And so, Father God, we thank you for our time together. We pray that Jesus would be glorified. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, open up our minds and hearts to receive the truth. May we see God for all that he is, and may we glorify him today in our time in the word. We acknowledge Jesus is God. Jesus lived without sin. Jesus went to the cross and died in our place for our sin. And then he was put in the grave. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He he is risen. He will never die. He is alive. He is God. He is Redeemer. He is Savior. We praise him. We worship him. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us today what what does it look like for us to uh, follow the leading of God and to be a people who have uh, spirit-empowered ministry. And I'm asking, God, would you speak to each person today here? Would you talk to them Speak to them, encourage them, strengthen them. And we're asking this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, after Jesus died for sin and rose from the grave, he said some words that are very important that we need to every once in a while remind ourselves of. We call these, the, these words the Great Commission. And what Jesus said is this, okay? So this is the risen Lord Jesus, and he, he's speaking to a small group of disciples on a little mountaintop, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, And I want you to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. I will be with you always. Those words are incredibly important because they give us vision, right? Vision, change the world. Mission, go make disciples. And we ask, how are we to do that, Jesus? And his response was very simple. I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit to indwell you. He's going to empower you. He's going to strengthen you. And as you follow his lead, ministry will take place. How do we have spirit-empowered ministry? Well, one of the ways is that as the church, and this is our big idea today, is that as the church, to be the church, we need to embrace our spiritual gifts. Okay, what does it look like for you to embrace your spiritual gifts? 
What does it look like for us together to embrace our gifts and to work together as a gifted church on mission with God to see the kingdom of God be established on the earth? What does that look like? So what we're going to do is we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, go there in your Bible or on your Bible app. And we're going to be looking at uh, not every single verse in the chapter, but quite a few verses. And what this is, is this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church, the Corinthians. He's writing to them. This is a gifted church. This is a, a church that if you read the entire letter, you realize is struggling in a variety of ways. But Paul's wanting them to know you're gifted, and this is how it looks to be a church together and to exercise your gifts together. And so he's giving some really practical instructions that are helpful for us, and we're going to dive into it. We're going to start with verses 4 through 6. So let's look at those, 4 through 6. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, what I want you to notice is right out of the, right out of the gate, we see unity and diversity. Okay, unity and diversity. Now, now, look at this in these verses. There are a variety of gifts. That's diversity. But the same spirit. That's unity. Verse 5, there are a variety of service. Diversity. But the same Lord. Unity. Verse 6, there are a variety of activities. Diversity. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Unity. And so we're unified in Jesus, we're unified in our mission to go make disciples, but notice there is diversity within the church community. Variety of gifts, variety of services, variety of activities. And because there's diversity within the community, it really brings us to a place of asking, okay, where, where do, where do, where's my part? Where, where do I fit? Where's my place in the community? How do I participate as part of the church. What does that look like practically for me? And so throughout our time together, I want you to be thinking about that. What are my spiritual gifts? What's my part in the, in the church community? Who gives spiritual gifts? Well, we see the answer right here. The same Lord. I'll go, go, go back. The same Spirit, the same Lord, and we see also the same God who empowers them all. And so if you notice here, this is Trinitarian language. Spirit, Lord, that's Jesus, God. That word God is often used to represent all of God or maybe just the Father. And so what we see here is Trinitarian language. There's one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. And we see here that God gives gifts. He gives ministry to the church. And so the Father, Son, and Spirit working together to give the variety of gifts, the different service, the variety of activities. And so God is doing this work. Now, why does God give these gifts? What's the purpose of these gifts? Now let's look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for uh, the common good. Now that phrase there, manifestation of the Spirit, simply means spiritual gifts. And so we see here that God gives spiritual gifts for the common good. Why does he give them? For the common good. Now, this, this may require some people to have a paradigm shift. If you've ever thought, well, these are my spiritual gifts, and these are for me, and, and I do these because this is what I want. Well, you, you need to have a, a shift of thinking. You need to think differently about gifts because spiritual gifts are not ours. Rather, they are God's, and they are a gift that he gives 
We didn't earn them. We don't deserve them. But through his grace, he generously gives us gifts. And he gives them not for our glory, his glory, for his glory, not ours, his glory. He also does not give them to build oneself up, but rather to build up the church. It's for the common good, for the common good. Now, there are different types of gifts, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10, and we see some of them mentioned here. Verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And so this is the ability to give wise counsel to someone. It continues, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So this is the ability to give uh, the knowledge of God biblical instruction to someone. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same spirit. Okay, faith is the ability to trust God, to have confidence in God. It continues in verse 9, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. And so, Gifts of healings. This is, the, this is the ability to be like a conduit in which God works through you to heal someone else. You don't do the healing. God does. But he might work through you as you pray for someone. Verse 10, to another working, workings of miracles. Again, this is God displaying his power, and it's the ability to be used of God to show his power by being a part of something miraculous that takes place. You didn't make it happen. God did. He goes on to say, to another prophecy, this is the ability to discern the will of God and to speak words of truth that will always be in line with the scripture. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. So this is the ability to discern. Is someone operating out of the power of the Holy Spirit or are they operating out of a different power? Maybe an unholy spirit. He goes on to say, to another, various kinds of tongues. And so this is the ability to, uh, to speak a language that's unlearned, that you didn't learn. Maybe an angelic language. Oftentimes this is praying to God in a, in a language you did not learn. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And so this is the ability then to, to take that language that's being prayed or spoken and to translate it so that the, the congregation, the body, can understand what's being said for uh, the edification of the body. Now, when you look at a list like this, it's important to understand this is not a comprehensive list. In fact, there isn't any one place in Scripture where there's just a very long list that lists every single gift. Rather, there are different places in Scripture where you see different lists of gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Those are some of the places. And so we see here that, that God is giving gifts and there are different types of gifts. What's your spiritual gift? You may be saying, well, are you sure I have one? Well, it depends. But if you're a believer, yes. And the reason I say it depends is because if you're not a believer, Step one is you need to meet Jesus and receive salvation. And then once you receive new life in Jesus, then you'll be given a gift. Now let's, let's look at verse 11 because we see something that, that really shows us that we, indeed we do all receive a gift as believers. He says, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually. Okay, so God is doing this, this giving of gifts to each one individually, each believer in the community, as he wills. As he wills. 
Very, very important. Okay, God gives spiritual gifts to believers as he wills. Some believers have one gift. Some believers have a multitude of gifts. No one other than Jesus has every single gift. There are different gifts given. There are different degrees of giftedness given. And God does all of this. He apportions all of this according to his will. His will. That means that we don't determine what our gifts are. It means that the gifts that you have or do not have, the gifts that you have received or have not received, were given to you based on God's will for you. Think about that for a minute. If you are to to follow the will of God in ministry, that means you need to discover what your spiritual gifts are because as you are exercising your gifts, you are following God's will, the gifts that he's chosen for you to have. Does that make sense? So we want to follow the will of God. We need to discover our gifts, and then we need to use those gifts as part of the church community. Now, I remember as a young man, uh, I liked to, to, to go and to play rock and roll music and to play shows and things like that. And it was a lot of fun for me. This was a long time ago. Okay? And, and, and I was, it was in the early 90s, and I was playing grunge mu- music. And there is in existence a VHS tape, that's how old this is, of me with hair down to here, playing rock and roll. I wanted to be the cool guy up front singing and playing guitar. Uh, but here's the thing, you will never see that video. It'll never happen. It's not online, it will never be online. It doesn't matter how much money you offer my wife, she will never let you see it, okay? So, so don't, even, don't even go there. But, but here's the thing, we were playing rock and roll, we were playing in some clubs, it wasn't a big deal, it was a small band, it was just a lot of fun, and it was what I was doing as a, as a young man, and I remember a day came when at the end of our practice, my drummer looked at me and he said, I just want you to know, I'm quitting the band. And I'm like, no, come on, yeah, right? You can't break up the Beatles. Uh, no, we weren't the Beatles, okay? But, but I was like, no, you can't do that, you can't quit the band. And he goes, I've got to quit the band, I have to. I'm like, why? This is what he said. You, you, you are the worst singer in the history of the world. He's like, I cannot listen to you sing one more time. It is torture to my ears, and I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I have to quit. And my response, really? I'm that bad? That's what I said, really? You see, I was so bad, I did not know how bad I was. That's really bad. You know, when you see one of those shows like The Voice or one of those singing competitions and someone goes and they try out and, you know, they ask them beforehand, like, what's your dream? And like, my dream is to be a singer and I'm going to be the next star and everyone's going to love me. And then they go and they audition and they sing and it just sounds like, you know, like someone's being tortured. And it's, it's terrible to listen to it. It's just a horrible experience. And, and then the, the judges are like, uh, ah, no. And then they're, you know, they, they either could receive that with humility and go, okay, maybe I need to reevaluate life. Or what happens oftentimes? They get angry. They're like, oh, they, they don't know what talent is. And what do we do? We look at those people and we judge them and we laugh at them. That's what we do. Because they're so bad, they don't know how bad they are. That would have been me. 
<laughs> but I never went on one of those competitions, and so nothing is online. Praise God. Uh, but here's my point. My point is simply this. When you are operating outside of your giftedness, if you're operating outside of your giftedness, then you're, even if you have a lot of passion, you're going to try really hard. It is not going to go well. It's not going to go well. It's not going to work. It's not going to be edifying to people. It's, it's just not going to be what God would want to see happen. And so if we're to have spirit-empowered ministry, we need to discover our gifts so that we can be in line with the will of God for our lives. And so we've got to figure that out. What are your gifts? What are your gifts? Now, once we've discovered our gifts, we need to learn how do we actually, you know, use our gifts together? How do we de deploy our gifts within the community and use them together as the church. Now, thankfully, Paul's going to explain this, and he's going to do it in a very interesting way. He uses a very fascinating creative illustration to help us understand how our gifts are to function within the church. And so let's look at verses, uh, yeah, 12 and 14, 12 through 14. So here we go. Uh, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, what he's doing here is he's using this illustration of a human body to teach us about how the gifts function within the church. And it's a very, very fascinating, very creative illustration. If you meditate on this, it'll take you into all kinds of different things that will, I think, be helpful to you and beneficial to you. But notice what he does here. He kind of continues this theme of unity and diversity. Here he's saying, okay, there, there is one body, that's unity, but there are many members, there's diversity. And so what we see happening is that there is one body with many members. The, the, the members are the believers. Those are the Christians. But we're one in Christ. We're unified in Christ. And in fact, in other places in the scripture, this, this illustration is used, and it tells us even more that Jesus is the head of the church, the body, that he is our, uh, our chief shepherd, that he is uh, the one who is to be preeminent, He's the one who we're, who we're supposed to treasure above all else, that he's the one who leads and guides us, and we follow Jesus. He's the head. There's one head, no one else. It's Jesus. And there's one body. That's the church. But within that one body, though those people are unified in Christ, there are many different types of people. And though there is unity, there is not uniformity. And so what this means is that even though we're one family, one body, we're different, and we have different roles, different responsibilities, different giftedness. We have different parts to play in body life. Anytime there's differences among people, that can lead to problems. And what, what Paul's going to do, well, I rather should probably say what God's going to do through Paul is he's going to use this illustration to address some of these, these problems that can happen. Now, what, what is the problem that can take place when there are a lot of people together who are different than each other? Well, one of the big problems is that people compare themselves to others, right? We look at someone else, we look at ourselves, and we make some kind of judgment. We, maybe we make some kind of assumption. 
And based on that, we come to conclusions. Sometimes those conclusions are wrong conclusions. Sometimes they're false conclusions. Sometimes there's a distortion in how we see ourselves or other people. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to address the, the, the problem of comparing yourself to someone else. And he's going to do it in a very interesting way. And there are two traps you can fall in if you compare yourself to someone else. And so let's look at the first one. The first trap is that you can think too low of yourself. Okay, look, look what he says here in verses 15 and 16. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, now what's happening here is he's using this creative illustration to say, look, if you look at someone else and, and you say, you know, I'm not like you, I don't have the gifts that you have. I'm not gifted to the degree that you are. So something, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I'm not important. Maybe I don't have a part in the body. That's, that's what he's talking about here. See, what can happen is you compare yourself to someone else and you go, wow, they have a multitude of gifts, but I only have one. What's wrong with me? Even a leader can compare themselves to someone else. They have like a flourishing ministry. Look at all that's happening there. My ministry isn't growing like that. What's wrong with me? And if we're, if we're comparing ourselves to someone else, we can start to have a distorted view of oneself. You can start to see yourself and see yourself lower than what God would have you, how he would have you see yourself. You can have a low view of self. Well, I'm not like them. I guess that means I'm not a part of the body. That's a, a wrong conclusion. It's a false conclusion. Paul's saying that's not the way it ought to be in the body. It's not the way it ought to be. If you look at someone else and they're more gifted than you, you don't conclude something's wrong with me and I don't have a part in the body. Now, in saying that, I know some of you, probably even now, you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know me like I know me. It's easy for you to say that, but you don't really, you don't really know me, what's all going on with me. You know, he uses this, this illustration. You, you know, if you're not a hand, you can't say, well, I'm not a hand, so I guess I don't belong. But some people would say, well, I'm not a hand. I'm not even a foot. I'm just, I'm just a big toe. All right, I'm just a big toe. Hand, pretty great. Foot, not bad. Big toe. Right? Big toes are ugly. Big toes are not important. I'm just a big toe. Now, I would say, why have you come to such a conclusion? Who says that the big toes are ugly? Who says they're not important? And I know right now some of you are you're even debating with me in your mind saying, uh, have you seen my big toe? <laughs> right? It's crusty. There's a reason I put a sock on it and a shoe We've got to cover that thing up twice. Nobody needs to see it. But the, the point I think Paul's making here is he's saying, guess what? You know what? In the body of Christ, the big toe is beautiful. In the, in the body of Christ, the big toe is important. The big toe, we love the big toe in the body of Christ. I think that's the point he's making. 
Sometimes we would look at something like the big toe and say, you know, is it, is it really going to make a difference for the body? I mean, think about this, okay? What happens if something happens to your big toe? Now, the reason I'm hammering on this illustration is that about a, a little over a month ago, I actually injured my left foot, my big toe. The, I, was, I was working out, right? I was doing a massive workout like I always do. <laughs> and I, I hurt, the, I, I like bruised the tendon underneath my big toe. And, and my big toe, it started to swell up. Have you ever seen one of those sausages that gets cooked too much and it's just, I thought maybe it was getting so big, I thought it might split open. And I know right now you're all going, thanks a lot for that image. Um, it was swollen. It was pulsing, it was hurting. What happens when your big toe is hurt? You gotta sit on the couch, you can't go anywhere, you can't walk, you can't do anything. You're just sitting there watching reruns you wish you were not watching. That's what happens. You need your big toe to function, to walk. And so, hear me in this. If you're the big toe, you're important. Celebrate. There's another way that we compare that's equally as bad. There's a second trap, and that's, that's this. Here's the, the second trap of comparison. Um, thinking too highly of yourself. So, so Paul addresses this in verses 21 and 22. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, maybe what was happening is in the, in the church uh, in, in Corinth, the, the Corinthian Christians, maybe what was happening there is that some of them were looking at other believers and they were saying, you know, you seem to be dispensable. Maybe we can just throw you away. I'm not sure if you're needed. Seems like that was maybe going on and that's why he's bringing this up. You see, what can happen is when, when you compare yourself to someone else, especially if someone is, is, is very gifted what they can do is if someone's very gifted, they can compare themselves to someone else, and then through a distorted lens of pride and arrogance, they can look down on that person and say, you're not like me. You're not needed. Now, I think that this illustration that Paul's using, it, it's intended to have a little bit of humor in it, which I know it got really serious, right, because he's addressing something really important. This idea of we, sh we ought not compare ourselves to others. But think about this. I mean, look what he says. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. I just imagine like this eye, this like glorious little eye. I'm so awesome. <laughs> hand, you're not. I don't need you. I mean, it's kind of funny, but what is he doing? He's saying, if you think too much of yourself, and you look down on someone else, you say, I, I, I don't need you. We don't need you. The body doesn't need you. You're in sin. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Maybe you've met someone like this in the past. I think of different, different uh, leaders that I've known where what can happen is a leader can be so interested in and getting things done that they'll look upon someone and say, you know what, 
Uh, you produce, you're needed. You don't produce, you're not needed. Have you ever thought something like that about someone else in the body of Christ? You see, when I was studying this section of scripture this week, these verses here, 21 and 22, were just, they just kept pounding my heart, piercing my heart, pounding my heart, piercing my heart. And I was reflecting on my, my uh, pastoral ministry, and I was, I was thinking about things of the past, and I was grieved because I have to confess that there was a time in my ministry where my identity was, was not what it ought to be, and achievement, success was my identity. I wanted to, to achieve. I wanted to be successful. And so I, I, to my grief, at times would look at people and say, oh, you can get something done. You can help me achieve. You're needed. You can't get something done. You can't help me achieve. You're not needed. And, and God, when he revealed that to me years ago, um, it, it broke my heart and there was repentance. But you see, you don't just repent. You continually walk out repentance. That idea of repentance is to turn away from something. And so even today, though it's been, it's been time, there's been time, there's been years, I'm still walking out repentance. And so when I read this, my heart was grieved. And I was like, man, I'm remorseful that I have to admit there was a time when I would look at someone and say, I don't know if you're needed. So, so hear me. As a repentant sinner talking to sinners, I'm inviting you to join me in repentance. If you've ever compared yourself to someone else, well, you know what? That's, that's, that's sin. That's missing the mark. That's what sin is. If you've ever, because you compared yourself to someone else, looked down on yourself, that's sin. If you've ever looked down on someone else, that's sin. It's not what God wants for us. It's not what he wants for the body. It's not what he wants for his family. He wants something better. He wants something more for us. Now, here's the good news. If that's happened, you can confess those things to Jesus. You can be forgiven. And the power of the cross is that Jesus died for our sin, even the sins of comparing ourselves, thinking too low of ourselves, thinking too high of ourselves, all of that, Jesus has died for our sin. And so we can be forgiven in Christ. We can be redeemed, renewed, even restored. Paul's looking at the church and he's saying, look, you all have gifts. You're all different parts of the body. You're all important. You're all needed. Can you see that? Now, look at verse 22. Verse 22 I find to be incredibly encouraging. He says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So now he's making a correction. You know, the, the ones who seem to be weaker, well, guess what? If you think that they're dispensable, if you think they can be thrown away, you've got the wrong kind of thinking. You've got a false impression. You don't really understand what's going on with those people because they're indispensable. They cannot be thrown away. No one in the body of Christ can be thrown away. Even in hearing that, my concern is that some of you would even say, well, I believe that's true for someone else, but I'm not sure about myself. 
Sometimes people will take on this, this kind of distorted view of self to where they won't, even, they won't even see themselves a part of the body. They put themselves like in a different category. And in a verse like this, they would say, no, no, I'm the weaker part. I'm dispensable. And I just want you to understand, like if, you, if you've been saying those kinds of things, okay, that is not of the Lord. That's not of God. That's not what, that's not what God would, would say or speak to you. That's not of God. It's from the enemy. Sometimes people say things like, I'm just a, I'm a gallbladder. Right? I mean, think about the gallbladder. What happens if the gallbladder causes a little trouble, if it acts up? You go to your doctor and your doctor says, well, just cut it out. You don't need it. We'll get rid of it. But, but understand, there are no gallbladders in the body of Christ. Every part is needed. Every member is needed. And he says here, those who seem to be weaker are indispensable. They might seem to be weaker, but that doesn't mean they're weaker. They might seem to be indispensable. That doesn't mean they're indispensable. No, 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 no. Every part of the body is needed. I'll give you a couple of illustrations to try to just help you see this. Um, there, there is a wonderful godly woman who's a part of our church. She gave me permission to share part of her story. Her name's Marlena, and she became a believer about four years ago. Now, if you, if you knew her, if you saw her, if you talked to her, she's very petite, she's very quiet, she's very shy. You could maybe get the, the, the wrong impression and be like, well, she's really quiet, she's really shy, she seems really weak, because she's a shy person. But that would be untrue, because she is bold. She's, she's ferocious. Like, she'll walk up to anyone on the street and just full-on throw down the gospel and witness to them. You'd never see that coming. Just a couple of weeks ago, she, she went on a mission trip to Lebanon, and she, her, she went and she was sharing the gospel to uh, Syrian refugees in refugee camps. She's like, I'm not afraid. I wasn't afraid because I knew God was with me. And she's proclaiming the gospel, right? Two Muslim women and an Armenian doctor came to faith because she was sharing the gospel. Praise God. Amen? 131 people came to faith in Christ through that little mission trip. Someone might look at her and say, well, she's, she's weak. She's not needed. And God is saying, I don't care if she's shy. She has the most amazing message in the history of all things, and she must share it. And she goes and shares it, and fruit is produced over and over again. People's lives are transformed. I'll give you another example. There's a woman I know who um, is, I think, in her 80s, and she is a, just a, a pillar of faith in her family, godly woman, amazing woman, and she uh, recently was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so the doctors are, have given her a few months to live. And I, I, I share that in part so you would be praying for her and her family. Now, someone could look at this woman and say, I mean, she, she's got brain cancer and she's in the process of dying. She's weak. How can she be needed? And yet, I got a text telling me that last week her neighbor came over to her house and her neighbor said, how do I know if I'm going to heaven or hell? 
right? Like she doesn't have the ability to go to her neighbor's house and so God is sending people to her house. God's saying, you've got gifts and you've got ministry and you're not done yet. It does not matter how weak someone may seem, they're indispensable. They're indispensable. Everyone is important in the body of Christ. Everyone is needed. We've got to get that deep in the heart. It will change the way you view people. It will change the way you do relationships with people. It will change the way we live as a family when we not just hear that, we believe it and we embrace it. Now, let's look at verses 17 and 18. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He's picking up on a theme that he mentioned earlier again. And this is very interesting because he's saying, look, do you understand what would happen if everybody was exactly the same and had the same gift? Do you understand? I mean, he's using this, 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 vivid language to help us see this. If everyone was an eye, then we wouldn't be able to smell or taste or walk or breathe. We, we wouldn't be able to function if everybody was the same, if everybody had the same gift. Do you not understand? The, the body would not be able to, to, to be the body as God has intended to. The body would cease to function. The body would die if everyone was the same. And then he says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. This is picking up on the theme from from verse 11. He's saying, no, no, God has done this work. He's arranged the members just as he chose, as he wants. He's saying, almighty God, sovereign Lord of the universe, has determined the gifts that you will have and how how you will have a part in the body. And it's, it's how he chose. Does God make a mistake? No, no, right? For us to reject our place in in the body is to deny God. For us to disrespect someone else's spiritual gifts is to disrespect God. It's how he chose. It's how he chose. You see, what this means is that if you're an eye, you're supposed to be an eye, right? If you're a hand, you're supposed to be a hand. If you're an elbow, you're supposed to be an elbow. If you're a foot, you're supposed to be a foot. I can keep going, right? If you're the part behind the knee that I don't know the name of, that's what you're supposed to be. I said that earlier and someone afterwards told me the name and I still don't remember the name. It was very complicated. The, the point is very simple. God has chosen for you to have gifts and that's what he wants for you. And that's what he wants for the body, for you to embrace your gifts and for each person to embrace their gifts. When you get this, when you understand this, it brings great freedom because all of a sudden, you don't have to be like someone else. You don't have to be someone else. Be the person that God has created you to be. And I don't say that the way that culture says that, okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. Because culture will say, be your true authentic self, whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God has created you as an image bearer of God. You have dignity, value, and worth because you're an image bearer. And God has given you a unique personality 
Nobody else in the body has the exact same personality. You've got a unique personality, and God has given you specific spiritual gifts, and your gifts, though someone else may have similar gifts, your gifts are, are your gifts, and God wants you to fulfill the ministry he has for you, and he's given you gifts, and he's designed you a certain way, and he wants you to be in the body and to be the, the, the member of the body that he's called you to be, not someone else. And when you understand that, when you get that, all of a sudden what that means is I don't need to envy you for your gifts. I don't have to be jealous of you if you're more gifted than me. In fact, what I can do is I can, I can step back and I can go, praise God that you have those gifts. Praise God that you're more gifted than me. I can champion you. I'm not in competition with you. I can champion you. I can say, did you see the gifts not for your glory. I can say, did you see the gifts and how they give God glory? Did you see the gifts and how they bless the body? Praise God that he would be so generous to give those gifts to the body. So all of a sudden now, we're able to, 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 to look at each other and to, to work together arm in arm and to celebrate what God has done in the body as brothers and sisters, as family. Right? That's, that's a beautiful thing. Look at verses 19 and 20. If all were a single member, where would the body be? The answer is in trouble. The body would cease to be the body. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so he's saying, this is how God wants it to be. So embrace it. Rejoice in it. Delight in it. Celebrate it. This is how God has designed the church. And he's given these gifts so that we would work together for spirit-empowered ministry to happen so that lives can be changed, so that the kingdom of God can be established on the earth. This is what he's talking about. I mean, think about what happens when people embrace their gifts and they work together. Beautiful ministry takes place. Wonderful things happen. I'll give you just one very simple illustration Shortly, the band's going to play. And think about the band. Each person in the band has a different gift, and they play a different instrument. And when they come together, they, there's beautiful music that's happening. If they were not together, it would not be what it could be. I mean, think about, and I, and I, and I use this, I point this out because, you know, I love the bass, but think about the bass player. Right? I love the bass. I've played bass. I like the bass. But here's the thing. Nobody wants to listen to the bass player pay, play the bass by themselves. Even the bass players don't want to listen to the bass players pay, play the bass by themselves. Right? But, but you, you put a drummer next to the bass player, and now you get a groove going, and all of a sudden the bass is bringing melody, and the drums are bringing groove, and now it's like, oh, okay, that's good. I like that. And then you bring in some other players, and they're adding more textures and more nuances. And now all of a sudden, now you've got sound happening, and it's much better than it would be if it was just one person. Everybody's using their gifts together, and now you've got music that's beautiful and stirs the heart and leads people to celebrate the Lord. That's how it's supposed to be in all the various facets of ministry, people working together and complementing each other in their giftedness. That's what it's supposed to look like. 
So how do we apply this in our lives? I'm going to give you three ways to apply this very briefly. Okay, first is this. Uh, To be the church, we must discover our spiritual gifts. So if you, if you do not know what your spiritual gifts are, this is the step for you. This is what's next for you. You need to discover your gifts. And you may say, like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you a few things you can do. First, I want you to just think about what you are already doing, okay? What you're naturally doing, not always, but oftentimes, is an indicator of your gifts. If you're someone, you're like, I like to bring people over to my house and make food for them. Well, you may have the gift of hospitality, If you're like, I don't want to lead, but I like to step next to a leader and and help the leader, well, you may have a gift of helps. If you say, you know, I like to bring organization and structure into a team, you may have the gift of administration, right? Oftentimes, whatever you're already doing is an indicator of your giftedness. There's also, though, a way for you to find out more by taking a spiritual gift assessment. So if you've never done this, I would encourage you to do this. We do this for anyone going through our discipleship class. It's free. You can take a spiritual gift assessment. It's, it'll take you, I don't know, 30 minutes or so to fill it out online. If you go to our website, resurrectionchurch.com backslash serve, then just, you can take it there and get that information. It'll just help you. The other thing I would recommend you do is talk to the people you know, your friends, your community group, and just ask them, how am I gifted? What do you see as my spiritual gifts? You may have a friend who cares enough about you to say, please do not sing, right? And and that can be helpful if you can receive it in humility. And so getting some feedback from other people who love you is a good thing. Okay, second, the second thing I would encourage us is as the church, we must uh, deploy our gifts. This is the idea of taking the gifts you have and then exercising them, actually using them within the the, the body to, to do ministry together. Okay, to to say, you know, I'm going to serve, I'm going to participate, I'm going to help, I'm going to be a part of what's happening. I'm not going to try to hoard or keep these gifts to myself. No, they're for the common good. I'm going to participate. And then signing up to serve. You can do that today after service. You can sign up and serve, and there are people who will help you try to find the right fit for you. And if you say, I'm not sure what my gifts are, just start serving somewhere. This is what my story is. I did not know what my spiritual gifts were. I just started serving, and in time I realized, okay, I'm not gifted in that. I am gifted in that. And then and it kind of redirected how I served in the church. And eventually that led to, you know, becoming a pastor. I didn't know at the time that that was going to happen. That happened many years later. Just start somewhere. And the hope is that eventually you would find that, that, that sweet spot of ministry where your passions and your gifts come together. You know, if, and what I mean by that is this. There are teams of people that do ministry together, and a team has different types of gifts on the team. And you may say, well, my passion is for kids. I want to disciple kids. But I have a a gift of, of shepherding. Okay, great. We need people who have a gift of shepherding in kids. You may say, well, my passion is students. I want to see students know Jesus and grow in their faith. And, you know, I have a I have a, a gift of, of teaching. Okay, great. Well, you know what? They're, those can go together. Um, and so your passions and your gifts, you need to try to put those together so that you're able to be in the place that God wants you to be for ministry. And what will happen is, is that when you're in your giftedness, there will be fruit. It'll be, it'll be fruitful. And when you're not in your giftedness, oftentimes you're frustrated. It doesn't mean that there aren't hard days, because there's always hard days. It doesn't mean that there won't be times when 
serving, you have to do something maybe you don't want to do. There are times when we all have to do things we don't want to do. But when you're in your place of giftedness, there's joy. You're like, yes, this brings me joy. This is great. This is wonderful. The third thing I would recommend you do is, as the church, we need to, we need to deepen our spiritual gifts. And this idea is very simple. It is to, to grow in your giftedness so that you can use your gifts to their full potential. Just because God gives you a gift doesn't mean that on day one, you can actually exercise that gift to its full potential. You know, gift in many ways is kind of like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And so if you are willing to put in time and be patient and practice your spiritual gifts, they will grow and in time, you will deepen in your gifts. And when I say deepening gifts, I'm talking about more than just ability to do stuff. I'm really talking about when your, your ability and your maturity come together. Which is more important, maturity or ability? Answer, maturity. Putting on the character of Christ, growing in grace. That's more important. But when your abilities and your maturities is together, that's that's when there's profound, deep ministry happening. And that's really what we want. That's what we want. So the invitation is discover, deploy, deepen in your spiritual gifts. Be the church. And all this must connect to Jesus in the gospel. Jesus is God who left heaven and came to earth. And he, he showed us, he lived out a spirit-empowered life and a spirit-empowered ministry. When you look at the scriptures, you see little glimpses of this over and over again in the Gospels. The Bible's saying that the Virgin Mary conceived through a miracle of God the Holy Spirit. And so from the time Jesus was in the womb of, of Mary, he was holy, without sin, and he was filled with the Spirit. So from birth, he was filled with the Spirit. And then as he grew up as a child, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He was filled with the Spirit. When it came time for him to start his public ministry, the Scriptures tell us that he was baptized. And he was baptized because he wanted to be faithful to the Scriptures. And the heavens opened and the Father said, that's my son, I'm pleased with him. And the Spirit descended on him. He was already filled with the Spirit. He received anointing of the Spirit for ministry. And then immediately the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And he was tempted by the enemy, but he did not give in. He was faithful by the power of the Spirit. And then he began his ministry, and by the power of the Spirit, he preached, and by the power of the Spirit, he healed, and by the power of the Spirit, he cast out demons, by the power of the Spirit, he did miracles, by the power of the Spirit, he exercised every single spiritual gift that can be shown. He did it all perfectly because he is the God-man, he is perfect. And then he went to the cross, and he died in our place for our sin by the power of the Spirit. And he went into the tomb, and on the third day... By the power of the Spirit, he rose, conquering sin and death. And because Jesus was faithful and he exercised the gifts that he had by the power of the Spirit, he's able to take our sin and give us new life and to give us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do ministry. Think about that. The power of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, is alive in you, believer. And he's inviting you to be the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. 
We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've chosen to bring the kingdom of Christ on the earth and that you've made a family. We thank you that in your family, all are important. In your family, all are needed. In your family, all are valuable. No one is indispensable, Lord. We thank you. And Jesus, we thank you for being faithful to live and die and rise so that we could receive forgiveness and salvation. We thank you for being faithful to send the Spirit to empower us. And I pray even now, God, that we would be a people who say yes to you. For those who have maybe lived their life without faith, would they say yes to you and, and believe and be saved? For those of us, Lord, who have lived as though we're not a part of the body, may we say yes to you and see that, no, indeed, we are a part of the body. God, may we discover and deploy and deepen in our gifts, and may that all be as you will, as you have chosen. And so we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.